0: oh man i get a smile on my face every time i hear that tune i gotta thank peter trulin for putting that fantastic track together because when you hear that tune it means you are in for a treat folks it's time for another week of the Rec poker edition this is the forums edition of the podcast Um, where I get to hang out with my poker friends and talk strategy. Um, Regular listeners know we also do the chats edition of the podcast once a week, where we talk um, to someone interesting from the poker world about their life and uh, uh, what the world of poker means to them. But this is the forums. We're just going to talk some straight strategy. And tonight we've got an awesome hand uh, from Binkley about an online cash hand. But first... I have to tell you, of course, if you don't know what is going on here, this is the Rec Poker Podcast. What's Rec Poker, you say? Well, we are a group of enthusiastic amateur poker players. We love the game. We love studying the game. We love helping other people learn the game. We celebrate together. We commiserate together. And we do it all mostly for free at uh, Rec.poker. So I'd encourage you, if you've enjoyed the show in the past and you want to see what all the fun is about, head on over to Rec.poker right now. All it takes is an email address and a smile to get your free community account. And while they are both mandatory, I think you'll agree it's worth the price of admission. Um, A lot of what we do here is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. So I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. I have to thank our premium members um, because we've got more and more of them every week, every month. Um, It's great seeing the community grow here. Uh, uh, One of the perks of being a premium member is you're welcome to come join the show here on uh, Zoom. We do the chats edition on YouTube live on Monday nights, but we have a more intimate uh, uh, group for our uh, forums editions. We record these over Zoom and uh, premium members are welcome to join it. And I love it when they do. Um, The wrecking crew is the last component of all the magic making over here uh you get used to hear my uh you get used to hearing my voice because they let me host the podcast on Mondays but I am just one of a group of fantastic folks that love poker just as much as you do uh, they are called the wrecking crew and if you want to find out more about the wrecking crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew you can learn about me my name's Jim Reed I'm Bluff in the home game and that wreck poker Jim on Twitter or you can work at, you can learn about the other members of the wrecking crew like Rob Washington, who you're gonna meet right here tonight.
1: I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. So
0: we've mentioned the sponsors. We've mentioned the premium members. We've mentioned the uh, Wrecking Crew. All that's left is to dive into the action. So I'm excited. Um, this is going to be a cash hand. We talk about tournament play here a lot. Uh, but Eric Jin, who goes by Binkley, another Wrecking Crew member, is a cash game enthusiast. He plays live. He plays online. We're looking at a hand here from Ignition, an online platform uh, where the stakes are 50 cent, $1 on their 6Max uh, cash platform. So we are sitting here at 50 cent, $1. Um, most of the players are uh, relatively deep stacked. Most of them have over 100 uh, big blinds. We're sitting on 100 bucks, which is 100 big blinds and chips. And uh, the other players that will co- become involved in the hand have us covered. So we're in the big blind. We are dealt the nine of spades, seven of spades. Uh, so it folds around to the cutoff who's playing on uh, about 134 big blinds. They raise 250 and it folds around to the hero who completes in the small blind and just calls closing the action. So I guess we're going to talk. Well, okay. Let's talk about the whole hand and then we'll ask some questions. Actually, it was the
1: big blind. He he called the raise in the big blind.
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant to say. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the correction, Brock. Um So we got an open from the cutoff to 2.5 big blinds. Our hero calls from the big blind. Uh, the board comes 10 of clubs, three of clubs, five of spades. There's 550 in the pot uh hero checks the cutoff bets a dollar 73 or about a third uh the hero calls and we'll talk about the action in just a moment but i just want to run through the hand first the turn comes the queen of spades the pot's eight dollars and 96 so that's the 10 of clubs three of clubs five of spades queen of spades we pick up a flush draw we check and the villain checks behind which is interesting uh, the river comes the ten of spades, pairing the board and bringing in the backdoor flush draw uh, for us. So the final board: ten of clubs, three of clubs, five of spades, queen of spades, ten of spades. Hero leads into the pot of eight ninety-six uh, for about a third pot, two dollars and eighty-one cents. The cutoff raises to nine dollars and eighty-eight cents. And we are left with the decision of whether to, just like so many of these times, you can call, you can fold, or you can raise. Those are kind of like the big three when it comes to uh, typical poker games. Um, And the only other information we have is that Villain is a regular player with stats of 26-26-0 over 29 hands. So over 29 hands, I don't know how we can decide that they're a reg or not. Uh, maybe Eric had some. Uh, this is an anonymized playing site, so I'm not sure what uh, what information he had other than that. But 26 VPIP, 26 PFR, zero percent three bet. So this is a player um, that at least over 29 hands is playing actively. Uh, we can say that at least they're not a passive player, and that's that's about all I would derive from this. But I haven't been there playing with the with this guy for the same 29 hands that Eric has. Maybe Eric's got some good information there. So the question really comes down to, the question Eric's asking is, how do we respond when faced with this raise on the river? But I've got a few questions um, I want to get into going all the way back to flop. And I want to encourage our folks, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to put the link in the show notes, the link to this forum post. So you can go and click on it. You don't even need a free account to view the forums. You only need to sign up in order to respond. Go check it out because there's some great responses here from five by five, Eric, our own Rabman 50 here. Um, and there's more details in the post than I can really break out over the air here, but we're going to do our best to kind of approximate the conversation and tease out some, some interesting information here. I love looking at these cash hands because we talk about tournaments all the time, but it's so much more fun talking about cash hands every once in a while. Maybe I'm just a degenerate that way, but I, I love it so much. So. One of the things that people talk about being a big difference between cash and tournament play is open raise sizing, bet sizing, that kind of thing. In tournaments, you can size down a bit and still leverage a lot of fold equity. You can still, um, threaten your opponent's stack and their tournament life with a lot of, uh, uh, w- to great effect with smaller sizes. In cash games, when you don't have to worry about busting, and going home at the end of the day, sizes tend to get larger. So the one thing that struck me about this is it's six-handed, 100 big blinds deep. Our cutoff opens to 250, which is a 2.5x raise, which is perfectly typical for tournaments. When I see the sizing in cash games, sometimes it it makes me think that maybe this player is a tournament player who's still kind of trying to get. Uh, a dip a toe into cash but i understand that you know as people are playing more of each the smaller sizes in cash games are becoming more in vogue uh, rob you were shaking your head there a little bit what does that make you think
1: six max cash games online two and a half is a very very typical opening now if you go to the casino In a one, two game, for instance, Mm. one, two cash game, Mm. you know, you're never going to see a two and a half. You're never going to see a five dollar. You know, it's going to be like eight to 10, probably. You know, that's what you're going to open your opening sizes are going to be. But I've been finding, um, as I play more and more cash online that the two and a half sizing is very, very common, even by those really, really tough players. You know, there's, I've been playing enough that I've got, you know, hundreds of hands on a lot of different players and a lot of the very tougher ones, um, the more successful ones with the best stats, they're opening two and a half. Unless, you know, somebody limps ahead of them and then it changes things, but they're opening two and a half a lot, especially in six max.
0: So one of the main differences between tournaments and cash is uh, in tournaments, you kind of pay your rake right at the beginning as part of your buy-in fee. And when you're playing cash, you pay rake every hand that goes to the flop. The, 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 um, the card room will will take some money out of the pot. And then once it reaches a certain threshold, they'll take some more money out of the pot. So there's an incentive as cash players not to go to as many flops as there would be in tournaments. So not to limp as much, to size up a bit. Like you, It's better for you if your players in the big blind fold then if they call and now you see a flop and the rate the rake gets taken out of the pot um so i think a really good a really important question is the players in the big blind how are they feeling about open sizes because if they're going to be defending at the same frequency to a 2.5x open as they will to a 4x open then it definitely makes more sense to be opening to 2.5x because you can still play the range of hands that you'd like to and you're not actually increasing the chance that they're going to call. Um I think that that's kind of the 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 essence of some of the sizing stuff particularly preflop when it comes to the difference between cash and tournament play. And it doesn't supply, doesn't surprise me that the online games are uh you know a little more disciplined a little more rigorous when it comes to uh the percentages of big blinds and that kind of thing because the online games tend to be like a more math math focused game, I think, whether it's tournament uh tournaments or or cash. So uh Rob, when you're in the big blind, cutoff raises to two point five. I mean we're gonna have a really wide defending range here. Um nine seven suited feels like a slam dunk call.
1: You yeah, could even depending any, on any two suited pretty much any yeah. two suited you're gonna call with.
0: And this is part of the problem with the opening size is that you're you're giving the big blind a, a fairly trivial decision with a lot of their
1: range, um, which
0: they might but be you, put to it. Yeah,
1: but you're not worried about that when you're in the cutoff because your range is going to be so much stronger than that range. I mean, when you True. when it comes to the equity buckets that you're going to be looking at, uh, you're going to be so far ahead of everything that he calls with. Now, obviously, it's flop dependent, but in general, um, you don't mind him calling with that wide range. Um, You want him to because you're getting a little bit more money in the pot and uh, you're going to be so far ahead of him uh, when it comes to the flop that, uh, yeah, you invite him. You want Mm -hmm. him to come along.
0: Yeah, any chance you get to play a a pot in position with range advantage against one or two players, you know, that's what uh, our, our friend Sky Matsuhashi refers to as a bread and butter spot, And that's why opening a late position is such a profitable strategy. You should do it as often as possible because it creates these great scenarios where you're able to take advantage of your opponent's capped range and lack of position. So um, I like what you're saying there, Rob. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but uh is this the kind of hand that you might occasionally 3bet out of the blinds um if you're having like a polarized 3bet three-bet, uh 3betting
1: range? No, I wouldn't. If if it's a hand that I chose before I started that this is going to be my bluffing hand, maybe. Mm-hmm. But no, uh typically not. I mean, you're you're going to want to have a polarized 3betting range obviously. Um but this would not be one of them. Doesn't
0: have any blockers, it benefits a lot from seeing a flop. Um, but bef- can you can you give us a couple examples of some other hands that might be better candidates for that that three-bet bluff here?
1: Um, you know, hands like ace five suited is a good three-bet bluff. Um obviously you're gonna three bet your your kings and your ace kings and your ace queen type hands. I like to I like to three bet with any ace 10 or better. Um a lot of times I might check. My aces, just for you know, mm-hmm. just to have some really strong hands in my checking range, but otherwise, you know, pocket pairs, um, jacks through aces, anything ace 10 or higher. And then I would probably just call with my other Broadways, my other suited Broadways, and then I'd throw in a few hands, like maybe jack 10 suited as a three bet bluff, maybe ace five suited as a three bet bluff, and then maybe something like ace five offsuit as uh, another bluffing hand so i've got you know some the rest of the hands i want to rest of the hands i want to play i want to call with because they play so much better post-flop like all your suited connectors and your your suited hands in general are going to play so much better post-flop than they are then you don't want to be raised off of them again if you try to bluff with them
0: yeah, we've I've got we've got some comments in the chat here uh, from one of our new premium members, Tim, um, who agrees with you, Rob, about the open sizing and how, you know, the best players online are kind of coming down to that more tournament style size, which makes a lot of sense. And he also suggests Ace 10 as a three bet candidate in spots like this. Um and says uh, yeah, when you bet more often, you bring the sizing down a little. Right. Yes. As your range expands, the sizing comes down. And uh that 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 affects not only your pre flop openings, but also like we're talking about here, your three bets. And that makes that makes perfect sense. I like that as well.
1: Yeah, he's I was questioning one. my my ace 10 three bet, but that's a very easy hand if you three bet it and get four bet, you can just throw it away.
0: <laughs> I think I think he was actually suggesting it as a three-bet candidate as you were saying it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's saying, no, no, no. He was saying that would be a good hand to do it for, and exactly for that point, yep. Rob, because... Yep. And, and I like that ace-ten, ace-jack, king-queen kind of hand mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. as you say, when you three-bet, when your opponent four-bets, you're clearly behind and you can fold very comfortably. But when they call... You're actually still ahead of their calling range quite a bit. and so you've you've managed to leverage some extra money into the pot when you're still ahead. um and sometimes they fold, which is great. And right. when you're holding hands like that have like an ace or a king or a queen in them, it's just more likely that your opponent does not have one of those premium hands. and so that makes a great candidate uh, for those three bet bluffs. and the other the other point I want to make to folks is that, you don't actually need that many three-bet bluffs in order to balance out your range. Um, the, they, they add up pretty quickly. And it, particularly if you add a hand like ace-10 offsuit, that's a lot of combos. You know, If you're, if you're three-betting ace-10, ace-jack, king-queen offsuit, that's already a huge portion of, uh, of your overall range. And you can actually kind of get into trouble by over-three-betting with some of those like middle hands where you're not sure if you're 3-betting for value or as a bluff. If you're not sure if you're 3-betting v- for value or as a bluff, you should be calling and then choose some better hands to 3-bet for value and some worse hands to 3-bet as a bluff. Yeah, as Tim says, it can get expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said it, man.
1: Well, a lot of the times it's understanding your opponent's opening range. Um, that helps determine what your 3-betting range should be. Mm-hmm. Um you know if this person's a very very tight person that you know is say his stats are something like um 21 18 after 300 hands well i'm not going to be three betting him quite as as loosely as i would um somebody that has a much wider range cuz mm-hmm. he's going to have a lot more hands that he can call me with than somebody that's uh 35 you know 20 Right. For instance, I'm just you know thinking of of um, HUD ranges,
0: mm-hmm. and some players you might not even choose to have a polarized three betting range against at all. Um, as 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 Rob's kind of getting at there, some of those uh, uh, very tight players that are only opening very tight, they're not going to have a lot of fulls. and so you should really just be three betting against them with a tight linear range yourself. And uh, and and folding and calling with the rest. Yeah, Tim says uh, seventy twelve. Yeah, seventy twelve. We all know those players. There's some seventy yeah, twelve. Treated him all game. day long. All day. Yep. Exactly. That's funny That's awesome. Um, okay. So now I just want to explore that space a little bit because I think people get caught up on like, oh, well, I have to three bet these hands for board coverage and to like, you know, um, to have a mixed strategy so I'm more difficult to play against. I mean, there's, there are elements of truth into that, but don't fancy play a syndrome yourself um, when it comes to this kind of stuff. And uh, it really is opponent dependent. As long as you've got a few bluffs in there, don't worry about covering every board perfectly. Don't worry about having a perfectly balanced range. Um, your opponents are not playing in a balanced fashion, so you, should be not, you shouldn't be really be playing in a balanced fashion either. Just try and exploit the, t- the mistakes that they're making. Okay. This whole hand is about a river spot. We spent the first 15 minutes talking yeah. about pre-flop, but um, that's just how it goes. Found a few rabbit holes down here, Rob. So, um, so we call, which I think is what what everyone's saying that we should be doing here, 9-7 uh, of spades. The flop comes 10 of clubs, 3 of clubs, 5 of spades. Not a great flop for us, but also not a great flop for the cutoff opener. They're going to have you know a lot of 10x hands, their range is still uncapped. They could have all the overpairs and, and all the best hands available, but um, most of their range is going to intersect with this by making like a pair of tens and then having some backdoor straight draws or something on the side of it. Uh, we check cutoff bets, relatively small hero calls. I mean, 10, 2 tone, we're really only playing with back doors here. So this is, a, this is a spot where I think Eric got a sense that this player is going to be c-betting a lot. Maybe they don't follow through on future streets as much. And so you can call a little wider here, even though you don't really have a lot of equity in the hand to, to draw to like a typically strong made hand. Um, this is one of those spots where I think you've got more equity than you think you've got backdoor flush draws, backdoor straight draws. You could even still be ahead a if you flop a pair, so I I don't um, I don't mind the call here.
1: Yeah. When and, I when I yeah. went through this with Flopzilla, I put in his range at 26%. I just stuck that in, just a generic 26%. Based on this bet and the bet size, I did not reduce his range whatsoever. Mm based on his action on the flop. So in other words, he's betting his entire range on this flop to a one-third sizing. There's no doubt about it because um, the big blind is going to miss 60% of the time. So you can bet your entire range, and 60% of the time, your opponent is just going to fold, and you're going to take it down, and then you go on to the next hand. So this is one of those spots where you should bet frequently to a small sizing, Just like Tim was
0: saying earlier, the the more often you bet, the smaller that sizing gets. And uh, there are certain boards that you and I say when I say you, I'm speaking to our cutoff player who's the open razor here. Uh, They should be C betting at a high frequency, which means they should be C betting to a small size. Eric knows that. And so he can continue with a pretty wide range of hands here. When the turn comes the Queen of Spades, we check and our opponent checks behind. And this is exactly the kind of spot that Eric was looking for, where our opponent has now weakened their range by not double barreling on the turn. Um, Rob, I think I'm just going to kind of turn the analysis over to you here, because you in your amazing response to this post here, you opened up Flopzilla and got pretty deep into the hand. Um, when our opponent checks behind i think intuitively a lot of us feel like that weakens their range um it also kind of removes what does it? it removes from their range all the hands that they would have taken an aggressive action and and you use flopzilla to to find out what those kind of hands are can you just tell our folks a little bit about
1: that that's the key that's the key to this whole hand right here is this check um now He's going to bet his entire range on the flop. We know that. He gets called. So now he has a decision to make on the turn. If he has a queen, does he bet? Does on the he, turn? If he has queen, t- yeah, on the turn. If he 100%. has queen 10, is, is he going to bet with queen 10? 100% he's going to bet. Exactly. So yeah. right now we know that he does not have queen 10 in his range. Now, is he going to... Continue his aggression if he had gained a flush draw. So, if he had two spades, would he have upped his aggression again? Because now he's got a flush draw.
0: And that's one of the things you're looking for when you make that. So, when you make that C bet with your range like this, what you're going to do is you're going to continue on favorable turns. And so, if you do pick up a flush draw, you'd be crazy not to continue that aggression because. Uh, that's one of those turns that you were looking for. So I would say, yes, they probably would continue betting if they'd picked up the flush. Correct. Correct.
1: So the fact that he checks, I can remove a lot of stuff out of his range. I can remove all top pair hands out of his range. All two pairs are out of his range because he didn't have any, hardly any to start with anyway on a 10-5-3 board. He didn't Mm -hmm. have any 10-5s. He might have had, no, he didn't have any 3-5s either. So he had no two pairs to start with in his range um if he had two paired now with the queen he would have bet it so we can take those two pairs out um set of queens probably bets yep because we got a call from you know the button or the big blind so we want to continue to try to get money in the pot if we all of a sudden spiked or if we have ace queen we're going to bet so we don't have any queens in our range you know we still have a lot of tens in our range but we don't have any queens we have clubs in our range. Because um, he should he still might. have clubs. That he might, yeah, he might bet a, a flush draw here, a club flush draw as a second barrel. Yep. So he should still have some of those in his range. But um, for the most part, he doesn't have the hands that we're worried about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now mm-hmm. we checked and he checked behind. So then we go to the river, which is the 10 of spades, which is our gin card. It gives us our flush, right? It gives us our flush. We already have determined that if he had a flush draw better than ours, he would have probably bet it. Because what kind of flush draws is he going to have? He's going to have, we have the nine. So he's going to have to have king-jack of spades, ace-king of spades, ace-jack of spades. Those are the kind of flush draws he's going to have. He might have, you know, some random ace-eight, ace-six, ace-four type, you know, um, suited hands that he would. But any of those ace-high flush draws are typically going to bet and try to get more money in the pot. So he doesn't have any of those. And then he... (laughs) Then we bet out small. We bet out small, uh, trying to get some value with our flush, trying to get him to call with, what are we trying to get him to call with? Trying to get him to call with a pocket pair of um, jacks, maybe. He might have checked jacks because the queen's on the board now. Uh, Maybe he's got nines or eights, some pocket pair like that. Any 10. Mm -hmm. Because he can't have the full house because there's no 10 fives or 10 threes in his range. There's no he might have pocket fives or pocket threes, but he probably would have bet those on the turn also. So we take all of the sets out. There's no sets in his range. There's no full houses in his range. There's no two pairs in his range. There's no queens in his range. So what's <laughs> left? Ace highs that had a ace of clubs or an ace of spades and Three tens. Yep. And maybe, maybe some
0: club, maybe some club combos that gave up on the turn and then decided now. But but again, you know, you gotta think if if your opponent was liable to be aggressive with that busted flush on the river, you'd expect that they'd also use it as an opportunity to bluff the turn, to semi bluff right. the turn. And right. I think, you know, when I when I looked at this hand. I saw the queen of spades on the turn and the check back by our opponent. And I thought to myself, well, they just can't have any strong hands here because when you've got 10 three five queen two tone, that's just way too wet a, a board to check back your value hands on. There's two straights that could come in, there's two flushes that could come in. It's just, it's a very dynamic hand. Your opponent could have all sorts of pieces of it plus draws. You, you'd really have to be betting a lot of your very strong value hands. And I knew that intuitively, but then I love Rob. When you go like into this and you start breaking down the actual hands combo by combo, you see how rare the value hands are remaining for our opponent here. And this is why so listen, we don't make a dollar off anyone who buys Flopzilla. But I just want to tell people like Flopzilla is yeah. such a, a valuable study tool. There's no other program like it that lets you get into this level of detail, this way of putting different hands together in buckets, this way of kind of cutting it between different suits. And and the way that they have the ability to sort by hand strength is just it's a phenomenal tool. Um, Again, we don't profit from people buying it, but I tell everyone if you haven't it's like 30 bucks, buy it once and use it for the rest of your life. Um, if you know how to use it, you will get a lot out of it. And if you don't know how to use it, come over to the free rec poker forums and post in there. Tons of our wrecking crew members have done dozens of videos on how to get the most out of Flopsilla using it in their analysis. And this way that Rob's using it here is exactly the way that it's meant to be used. And I just can't reinforce that point enough. So, um, don't be a gym. Don't be someone who's just like, Oh, yeah, you can't have any strong hands there. You do them this way. Be a Rob and go through and actually (laughs) count the combos that are available to your opponent. Because when you actually go hand by hand through their range, it's hard to do in the abstract. But, folks, this is what's going to make you a better poker player. Go and examine their range hand by hand. And you will see they just don't have that many value hands here. So the question is, do they have bluffs? As well, so anytime we're in a position like this where we're considering calling a raise, we have to think about: Are we um, are we ahead of their value hands? Are we do they have enough bluffs, or are we only ever going to be behind their value hands that are making this action? In this case, I think we can eliminate a lot of the value hands that we're behind. Yeah, they could be, we'll, we'll find some of the bluffs, some of those busted flush draws or maybe some busted straight draws or something that could. And I think the real key is that they could have some 10x hands that they are maybe thinly value raising and perhaps improperly thinly value raising. Then if we can beat their thin value, then it does feel like this is coming around to a call.
1: I think, I think a hand. Um, the, the 10x hands that he has probably should raise the fact that, um, it was a backdoor flush. Mm -hmm. It went spade, spade. Mm -hmm. Eric called on the, on the flop. So he's the, the villain is not putting him on the flush. He's not putting him on a flush. He's putting him on a five or maybe a pocket pair under the tens. You know, that's kind of, that's the kind of hands that he's, targeting I think with his bet and it wasn't it wasn't a check raise because eric was out of position so it was an actual eric bet out and which is not a dock bet it's more of a probe because there was no betting he gave up the betting lead on the on the turn so it's a That's probe right. bet into the river that eric put out there from the big blind and now he's raising and i'm so positive that he's raising with a 10 there And he can't have queen 10 and he can't have 10-5 or 10-3. So he can't have a full house. There's no way he can have a full house. And the bluffs in his range, there's still a lot of bluffs in his range. Those ace high hands Mm -hmm. with a spade Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. could be a bluff Mm because they weren't, they weren't flush draws ever. You know, any ace of spades or king of spades, could be a bluffing candidate right here because if he was stuck around with ace king of ace king offsuit with the ace of Cl- ace of spades or the king of spades, any of those ace combos with the with the ace of spades would have could have stuck around mm-hmm. and and be in here trying to bluff bluff us off um, because they have the nut blocker. That's the yeah. kind of bluffs that you're going to run into, but you're not going to run into any flushes. I mean, if you look at the hands that he could possibly have, I mean, I, I put on, on my Flopzilla, I end up that he has maybe eleven percent flushes, but it's really, really remote that 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 he could have any flushes here at all. He's got twenty six percent of the time he has three of a kind, and sixty two percent of the time he has a ace high hand. So we have 89 88 percent equity right now with our f- flush and Eric's wondering what he should do. Should he call or should he raise? Um,
0: so let' let's there for, if you
1: raise, yeah, if you raise, what do you want to get called by? I, I want to go one step
0: back even and say, you know we're here. We've got a nine high flush on a paired board. And I think a lot of players might be getting nervous in this spot and thinking, well, I don't have a very high flush. There's a paired board out there. They could have a set. Listen to what Rob's saying here. You know, they don't. <laughs> I mean, they might some some micron, uh, some super, super tiny percentage of the time. But this is a spot where a lot of recreational players are going to see monsters under the bed and feel like they need to like pot control. Maybe I'll just check call, or maybe even check fold, heaven forbid, um, a board like this. Well, there's a paired board. They don't have a very high flush. Don't play scared poker like that. Play against your opponent's entire range. Don't play against just the best hands that they could have. Because, um, well, yeah, right, Rob, as you're saying, it's well, just...
1: The, yeah, and the, and the key to ranging your opponent and what he ends up to the river with has a lot to do with his range starts really big up here right mm-hmm. and then it gets narrow and narrow and narrow we we've already taken the queen tens out of his range and we've already taken the 10 fives and the 10 threes out of his range so there is no other there is no other fl- uh, full house possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: if he had pocket queens he we would have heard from him on the turn if he had pocket fives pocket threes we would have heard from him on the turn.
0: And so he does he will have sometimes he'll have a higher flush, but it's it's such an infrequent amount of the time that you can't tailor your your action against that. You have to think about their entire range that's taking this right. action. How are you doing against that range? Um you
1: could, you could raise this river and then fold to a re raise. Yes. Yeah. If you if you are convinced that he has Ace King of Spades, for instance. But I still posit that he would have bet the Ace King of Spades mm. on the turn. On the turn.
0: Yep, he would have continued that aggression with his flush draw combos. Yep. And so, and so, folks, if you if you agree with the assumptions that Rob and I are making about this player's hand, if they would, if they, on the turn, if they would have bet their sets. If they would have continued betting their flush draws, if they would have bet their two pairs, then the very nature of hand reading is that when they don't on the next street, those hands are not in the range anymore. And you can't go adding them back in afterwards just because it feels like it's a scary spot and they might have it. Um, you that's gotta what we do all the time. I know we
1: do that all the time as recreational players, we get to the I river know. and we don't think about the action that we got there mm-hmm. with and we go, Oh God, he could have this. He could have that. Well, if you do your, if you do your due diligence and go through it street by street, you realize, well, no, he can't, he can't have any of those. The only thing he can have here is three tens. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: And so this is so we're getting some really
0: good comments in the chat here from uh, DJ and Tim. Um, so DJ is wondering like what is, what is what is our opponent's value target when they raise the river here, which is I think a really good point. So I think Rob's Rob's kind of nailed it. I think it's very likely that this opponent has a ten. That's 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 how this feels. They bet the flop with top pair. They checked the turn when the queen came. Now they're taking an aggressive action on the river uh, when they trip their 10. So that is, that's a, and that's a pretty savvy because they're thinking the same thing, Rob. They're thinking I can raise here and still fold to a a three bet from Eric if if Eric has a full house or a flush, but maybe I can get called by one of Eric's second best hands. So I don't think that raising the 10 is necessarily a problem. If they were really deep and they like jammed, the 10, that would be a mistake. But giving themselves the opportunity to raise fold, uh, I don't I don't see that being a big problem. Um there's a but lot of hands that
1: is, Eric Eric could call with here. Um, any queen. Eric could have a bunch yes, of Queen Jack, Queen Jack type hands that would have checked the turn, hoping to get a bet out of the aggressor. And when he didn't, goes ahead and bets the river. I mean, a queen, uh, any kind of queen high hand or any hand with a queen in it and eric's going to have a ton of those um could be betting here and he'd be ahead of with his tens. so there is a lot of value that he can get by raising with his tents yeah
0: but i agree with dj it is it is that kind of thin value but i think it's a savvy move i think a lot of other players would be tempted to just call there and i think they're kind of leaving some money on the table because it, these thin value bets, these thin value raises—that is kind—that of, that's an area where recreational players are are leaving money on the table. And you just have to be comfortable with folding. You have to be comfortable with folding when they don't call. When they come back over the top, they have to find their own range to be stronger than your thin value. Um, and so, and I, I, that's what that's what Eric's getting at here. So Eric's now thinking, okay, I can't fold because I'm too high in my distribution and my opponent doesn't have enough value hands um, for me to be behind here. And there's a, there's a good point from Chris Jones in the post here too. He says uh, we're beat some of the time here, but we've bet so small on the river that there's a significant amount of 10 X value that we beat. And he says, I'm just always calling here, especially in a cash game. But I like that Eric's because Eric's response is should then should we then three bet to try and extract more value and i think that would be that would be a, a problem because for the same reason it's hard to find a hand that your opponent will call with that's still behind your nine high flush so maybe if you like knew they would call with a 10 but i think you're you're they're, they're probably going to be savvy enough to fold when they raise your uh, river bet with a ten, and then you re-raise on top of it, so it, it feels to me like the call was the right play uh, for Eric. And I think you were saying, Rob, that that kind of bears out in the um, in your analysis.
1: Yep. Yep. And the um, interesting thing is, I have for Ace Ten, Ace Ten suited. There's two combos: the diamonds mm-hmm. and the hearts. We Mm -hmm. don't have any of the the clubs and the spades are obviously not there because there's a 10 of clubs and a 10 of spades on the board. Yep. So the Ace-10s, there's only two combos of those. And the King-10s, there's only two combos. And the Jack-10s, there are only two combos of the suited variety.
0: Yeah, I guess they could be opening. Yeah, sorry, you were going to say. Then there's
1: six combos of Ace-10 off, King-10 off, and Jack-10 off. Because, again, there's you know two tens on the board. So those are the hands that we're up against. So is that 18. So there's twenty-four combinations of hands that have tens in them. That's a lot. And that's really the biggest um, biggest hand. There's a lot of ace high hands. So there's mm-hmm. a lot more ace high hands with, with no 10, um, with a with a spade potential or a club.
0: Yeah, so I think. Um, I love these comments in the chat here. We're getting some uh, from Tim here as well. Uh, It gives you that unconscious competence over time. Yeah, exactly. You know, thinking about this stuff and being, being immersed in it, uh, uh, getting these reps. I think that that is the, that is the goal to sort of uh, attain that unconscious or subconscious uh, competence over time. I think that's right. Um, And when I first, when I we, we first started talking about this hand, I also felt like the the rays on the river felt a little spazzy, like maybe they're self owning themselves, like like Tim mentions here. But I I do think we also have some queens, we also have some tens, maybe worse tens that could call, and if we're deep enough, and these players are, that they can that they can get away from uh from a rejam. Then I, I actually, I don't think it's, it's as spazzy as I did originally. I think it's actually, um, pretty, pretty savvy, thin value, although it is, you know, it's, it's higher variance and it's, uh, and it's risky. Yeah, but if
1: you, if you think of the way the hand is played out, um, again, he's not giving a lot of credit to, um, Eric having a flush Yeah, because it's the backdoor. It's ride. the backdoor. Yeah. What is he calling with on the, on the flop that gets there with a flush on, on the river? So he's looking more like hands that are queens, you know, any queen hand, any hand that Eric has that has a queen in it could be betting out on this river. And the way the way it played out, he could be betting with, uh, you know, pocket nines, pocket eights, pocket sevens, pocket sixes for that matter. You know, mm-hmm. any of those pocket pairs could be there. Um, now, he's not going to get value from those. Those are going to fold. So he's only going to get value from those queen hands those hands that have a queen in them.
0: Yeah. So I wonder, it's so villain dependent, you know, Eric makes the argument here that if we, if we do three bet the river, we can get called by some of those better um, trip hands like ace 10, King 10. Uh, I think that's true. And I guess, you know, according to your analysis, Rob, like, That's pretty much the top of their range here. Like, I guess they have some of those bigger flushes, but not a lot of them. And um, maybe, yeah, maybe that, I don't know. At first I was thinking that if that calling was the right play, because if we, if we three bet the river, we're really not targeting the right part of their range, but maybe it's exactly the right part of their range to be targeting those, those trips But do they pay off? That's the question. Do they pay off? Because your move looks really strong now. Like your move. You don't.
1: Right. You don't necessarily know if they will pay you off, but you'll never find out if you don't try. Yeah, that's true. They never will pay you off if you never raise. (laughs) So, um, if you could raise to an amount that you feel comfortable folding if they go over the top of you, then that would be. You could do that. I could. I could see doing that. Yeah. You have to be confident, though, that your read is exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And you don't know. Sitting at the table, it's so much different. When when it's happening right in front of you, and you've got like forty seconds to make a decision of what you're going to do. Oh, so little. Time. You're not. Yeah. It's very very difficult to run all these combinations in your head and understand that. Hey, you're way ahead of his entire range. Um, And that's what I think uh, Tim mentioned that speed is Mm -hmm. what gets us Mm
0: -hmm. the speed
1: of the, when you have to evaluate this, if you're sitting at a live poker table, you have all the time in the world. You can sit there and think about all of this stuff, go back through the hand and say, okay, could he have this? Could he have this? Could he have this? No, he doesn't have any of that crap. I'm going to raise. Well, here you're online and you got like 30 seconds and um, you know, things are happening pretty fast. So I don't blame anybody at all right here if they didn't rage raise and just called. Yeah, that that wouldn't blame anybody at all for doing that.
0: It's so funny, Tim. Tim and I were actually just talking earlier today about this about this exact scenario. How you know you're used to playing online, you're used to making quick decisions, and you 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 can't go all the way through the decision tree here and look at all those combos in the thirty seconds plus time plus ten second time bank that you have. Um, and what that means is that you, you're more of a gym. You're more of a, oh, I think he folded most of his big hands, but you don't have a chance to be a Rob. And again, I just want to encourage people to be a Rob anytime you can and take that kind of like methodical approach. And And this is why it's important to do this stuff between hands, between sessions. It, you're not pulling Flopzilla out at the table anyway, but the more you can uh, do this in between sessions, do this in the lab, off the felt, you're going to create in your mind, a better approximation of, of what these what these correct answers are, of what the decision tree is, um, and you'll give yourself a better chance of just kind of naturally having that inclination or, or, or something close to the answer in real time um, while you're playing. Uh, another comment from DJ here talking about how you, getting inside the head of the opponent is, is a crucial part of this. I think you really do need to think about what is my opponent value targeting? What is my opponent bluff targeting? What are they trying to achieve with the bet sizing that they've chosen here? And then, and then be a rock let that influence the hands that you remove from their range. And once you remove those hands from their range, uh, you, you just cannot add them, add them back in. um, yeah, and and uh, you know DJ and, and Tim are both talking about this in, in the chat here. I mean, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge online because you have so little time, but you have perfect data from your HUD. Whereas live, you have all the time in the world, but you only have your own faulty brain <laughs> to remember what the information is. So you do kind of have to pick your poison there because there's there's pros and cons to both, um, and there's ways to uh, ways to get tripped up uh, tripped up by both here. I mean, that is a really good conversation, Rob. Is there anything that we should mention? Well, about we, could, that we, we could
1: share the actual results of the hand. Please, um, please do. He did, he did come in at the end and saying he, he kind of came to the conclusion himself that uh, he he said, "I'm th- my thinking was that I lose to full houses and better flushes. Uh, value target was only trips. And that seemed too thin in the moment. So, however, I now think that I should have raised. On the turn, there are two flush draw sets and two pairs would very rarely never check the mm-hmm. turn. And this runs rules out full houses. And that's what we were able to do because we had all the time in the world sitting in our desk here running it through <laughs> Flopzilla.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, picking up the extra equity of the backdoor flush draw, villain likely ter- bets the turn. And again, that's what we talked about. This yeah. is the stuff that we're verifying with our Flopzilla work. So making the our backdoor flush makes the strength of a hand a bit hidden. We have a lot of 10x that could take the same line. Um and a villain could call a river and three bet with their stronger trips. As it turned out, the cutoff had ace ten of diamonds. Mm-hmm. So he had ace ten suited. And if you look at my if you go on to the uh, forums and look at the results, I posted the final um The final um, range of our opponent, Ace Ten of Diamonds, is right there. So we had it. We had. We had it. We got it the whole way. And uh, (laughs) and again, Eric, when he had the time to think about it, by making this last post, he came Mm -hmm. to the same conclusion we did uh, with our Flopzilla work that our opponent could never have could never have a full house and very rarely would he have a better flush.
0: Yep. I love it. So a few thoughts just before we close out the episode. Um, I like this comment from Tim in the chat. Does hat guy look like a bluffer? That's my analysis. live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, when we are live, we, we don't have limits. We don't have access to the same kind of information. So you do have to make some of those generalizations, those live tells. Um, I think that's true. Uh, this is so Everyone, if you're listening to this, like I say, go buy Flopzilla. Um, All all of my coaching clients, I tell them the same thing. Now that you've bought Flopzilla, here's some free advice. Go to YouTube and look up Smart Poker Study. This is Sky Matsuhashi's free video uh, series. He's got a number of great video playlists there. The one in particular that you're looking for is called 66 Days of Hand Reading. If you're a regular listener, you know, I talked about this before. It's, it's a series of videos where Sky uses Flopzilla to go street by street through various hands. And uh, you can learn how to make assumptions about players, how to use the tools that Flopzilla uh, makes available to become a better hand reader, to be a more precise uh, hand reader, and um What I will tell folks, this is my spin on it, is if, uh, if you're, if you're feeling, um, daunted by like, oh, how do I even pick a a range to put them on in the first place? Like, how do I make these assumptions about what our opponent's playing? Uh, do, do yourself. Take, take it. If you use Poker Tracker, um, and you've got access to online hands that you played like six months or a year ago, take a hand of your own and, toggle off the show uh, known whole cards element of poker tracker replayer. Pull up that hand and 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 do hand ranging on yourself. You won't know what your hand was in that hand that you played six months ago, but you know what your opening range is from that position. You know the kinds of hands that you're gonna bet with or check with or raise with. And just like Rob is saying, if you do your job well, at the end of it, you're not going to have it narrowed down to one hand, but you're going to have it narrowed down to a narrower range of hands. And what you want to see is at the end, does the actual hand that your opponent have fit into that range? Can you find it in that range like Rob did? And he said, sure enough, there's your race 10 of diamonds. It's one of the hands that we narrowed his range down to. And that made it easier for us to make good assumptions um, and good decisions about how to play against that range later. So um, oh, this is great. So another comment from DJ uh, saying 66 days of hand reading is my warm up every day before play. Once you get 66 days in, you won't remember day one. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, I, I really I could I mean, it, it's it's a free video series It's really informative. Um, Sky Matsuhashi knows what he's talking about. He's been a, a, a great friend of the show for a long time. And I love nothing more than sharing these fantastic resources with our members and our audience, even though, as I say, um we don't we don't benefit from it at all but it's just it's just too good information to put out there uh and another great point from Tim here saying that this also improves your confidence and your your ability to believe what your brain should be telling you because that is important you know your the back of your brain is doing all sorts of work at the poker table you don't even know it's doing and the more you play the more experience you get the more often you put yourself in situations like this the more you train your brain between sessions to make these kinds of poker decisions the more you can trust your gut the more you can trust that oh my 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 brain's trying to tell me something about this and you know your gut's getting smarter too the smarter you get the more studying you do that gut is getting smarter too so uh, don't be afraid to trust it uh, thanks to DJ and Tim for joining us on the show tonight. We've got some really good comments from them in the YouTube in the uh, Zoom chat. <laughs> We're doing, doing the chat's edition too long, Rob. Um, Rob, is there anything else we should add? I want a uh, big shout out to uh, Eric binkley Jin for um, posting another fantastic cash hand for us here. Rob, is there anything we should uh, mention before we roll on out of here?
1: No, I think... I think both players played that hand very well.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: At, at first,
0: I felt like that river raise was a little spazzy by our villain. But given that they actually had ace-10, uh, it actually makes a lot of sense. It's a pretty savvy, thin-value raise, and I don't think it's as spazzy anymore. But you, it really took going through all the combos to see that. And so I'm, I'm really glad that yep. we took that, took that exercise. Uh, well, yeah, thanks to DJ and Tim. Thanks to Eric. Uh, thanks to Rob Washam for being a talent tonight. Uh, and, of course, thanks to the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, Casino, um, and Racetrack, Hotel, and Casino. Thank you, Running Aces. And thank you, the listeners. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks again.